Good morning, everyone. I hope you're doing well. It is Wednesday, October 27th. It is 10.30 a.m. and it is time for Bible study. So thank you for making this a part of your day. And thank you to everybody who uh, listens to these podcasts that we make. I got an email last night, very exciting. Uh, word broke that uh, this podcast is the number 67th ranked podcast, a Christian podcast in Denmark. And number uh, 60, uh, I'm sorry, 67 in Denmark and 68 in Uganda. So uh, thank you to everyone in Denmark and Uganda who is listening. Uh, I am grateful for you. I had no idea that people uh, in, in, in Africa and people in Europe were listening to the podcast. So uh, great news, right? That's so a great way to start the day for me. I got that email. So excited about that. Uh, anyway, thank you for listening. Um, so glad to that you make this a part of your day. And today we are continuing with our study of Jonah. So we are in Jonah chapter three. Just a reminder in Jonah chapter one, God said to Jonah, go to the people of Nineveh and tell them to stop being wicked or I will destroy them. I will destroy them. So what does Jonah do? He goes to Nineveh. No, he gets in a boat and goes to Tarshish, which is the other side of the world, which is like where modern day Spain is. Like I'm going to get as far away as possible. And so there's a big, big storm and the boat's about to capsize and everyone's going to drown. And the people on the boat say, who's causing this? You know, who upset their God and caused this? And they figure out it was Jonah. So they throw Jonah in the sea reluctantly. They didn't want to, but they did. And so then a big fish comes and swallows Jonah. In chapter two, Jonah is in the fish. Uh, uh, it's, it's the only book of the Bible where the person is in a fish uh, for the entire chapter. And then at the very end, Jonah's uh, spit up onto this, uh, uh, the shore. And so uh, Jonah chapter three, Jonah finally goes to Nineveh. Now Jonah was not spit up onto Nineveh. Nineveh is a couple hundred miles inland. So he's onto the shore. So verses three and four. Jonah chapter 3. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, 40 days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Okay, so it gives you an idea of how big Nineveh was. It took three days to walk across Nineveh. Think about that. Three days to walk across a city. It's huge. I mean, think about the biggest city you can think of. How long would it take you to walk across it? How long would it take you to walk across New York City? I don't think it would take you three days. I live near Dallas. I, I can walk across Dallas in a day. It's not, I mean, it's not that, I mean, if I wanted to walk like through all the suburbs and all that stuff, it would take a while. But, but that's all. So it says that he walked, you know, so Jonah goes to Nineveh. It's a couple hundred miles. And then he gets to Nineveh and he walks for a whole day to kind of get in the center of it. And so it takes that long to get to the center of it. So he walks for a whole day, gets to the center of it. And then he says, 40 more days and Nineveh shall be overthrown, shall be overthrown. The idea behind overthrown is basically the same thing that happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis 19, 24 and 25, the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of those cities and what and that what grew on the ground. So like total destruction, right? So the Lord overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and the Lord was going to overthrow Nineveh. The Lord was going to overthrow Nineveh. And that's what Jonah goes to say. 40 days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. 
Now imagine the city that you live in or the biggest city nearby. Imagine somebody walking into the middle of the city, like a street corner, like standing on a street corner and saying, 40 days more and this city will be overthrown. Is anybody listening? Is anybody paying attention to what this person is saying? Or do you just walk by and be like, who's that guy? You know, I imagine, you know, the people standing on, on street corners with, with signs and stuff is like, does anybody pay attention? Is anybody listening? Most often we just think they're kind of, they're, there's something a little bit off about those people who stand in the middle of the, you know, with, with, with a sign or, you know, with, with a bullhorn proclaiming, you know, something. So 40 days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So if that happened in your town, what would you do? Most likely, most likely, I'd probably ignore that person, right? <laughs> like, uh, whatever, get away. Shoo, shoo, go away, right? Verses 5 through 9, here's what happened. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, no human being or animal, no herd or flock shall taste anything. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. Human beings and animals shall be covered with sackcloth, and they shall cry mightily to God, and all shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows? God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. Imagine that. Jonah walks into the middle of the town and says, 40 days, Nineveh is going to be overthrown. And people hear what he says. They're like, wait, what? What'd you just say? What'd you just say? Did you say in 40 days we're going to be overthrown? <gasps> and, and like everybody was talking about it. And eventually the king heard it. And the king was like, no, okay, everyone stop. Everyone stop. And, and he put on, he sat in the ashes and he said, we're going to have a fast and we're all going to do what is right and we're going to stop doing bad things. Now the word repentance is not in this part. There's nothing about repentance. The word repentance isn't here. But these are people who repented. I mean, they, they took off their normal fancy clothes and they put on sackcloth. A sackcloth, uncomfortable, it was made from goat hair, right? And they all dressed in the same thing, and they all, they all, uh, it was, they were rejecting comforts and pleasures. They were saying no to the material wealth and to the world, uh, and they repented. I mean, I love this. They even made their animals repent. They even made the animals fast. They made the animals change the way they eat. They made the animals change their habits, right? And, and it says they sat in the ashes. They sat in the ashes. Well, where else in Scripture do they sit in ashes? Well, we go to Job, right? Job loses his whole family, except for his wife, right? He loses his children. He loses his house. He loses all his stuff. And what does he do? He goes and sits in the ashes. And in the ashes, he mourns. In the ashes, he grieves. Sitting in the ashes is a, a symbol of mourning, right? Mourning, mourning bad decisions, mourning the loss of life, mourning the loss of something. One of the things we, we have every, uh, um, every year at the beginning of Lent is Ash Wednesday, and we put the ashes on the forehead, and ashes are a symbol of mourning, a symbol of grief. 
right? Because, you know, we are people who are going to die. Remember, you are dust and to dust you shall return. And so we have those ashes as a, as a, a tangible reminder that we are not eternal in these bodies on this earth, right? That, that at some point we are going to return to the dust, and yet we have this good news of God. And so, so ashes are a sense of grief, a sense of mourning. And so the question comes up, is it ever appropriate to mourn, to mourn when we make a mistake? Do we grieve the things, do we grieve over the things we do? The ways in which we sin, the ways in which we let others down, the ways in which we uh, destroy relationships, the ways in which we hurt others, the ways in which we oppress others, the ways in which the world is not as God would have it be, right? Is that worth grieving over? Is that worth mourning over? Uh, so this message of grace, this message of forgiveness, that Jesus has died for your sins, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven, right? You do not need to carry around the guilt and the shame that come along with sins. However, is it ever appropriate to mourn after we make big mistakes? I would say absolutely. Absolutely. We should absolutely mourn. We should absolutely grieve when we lose a relationship because of our own mistakes. Even, even, even if it's not a mistake that we make, but, but, but you know, if it's a sin, if it's a sin that leads to brokenness, it's worth grieving because it's taken away something from this life. It's taking, because it is, it is not life lived in the way that God would have us live it, right? It is, not, it is not love being shared the way that God would have us love one another. And so should we grieve? Yeah, at times we should. You know, at times we should, we should reflect and we should grieve and we should wish and long for a better world, a world that is a better, truer reflection of the kingdom of God, a truer reflection of the way God would have us live and who God would have us be. Uh, so it, you know, absolutely. I think it's a, um, I think it's a great, great thing for us to think about. You know, what is grieving the loss of a relationship? What is grieving, uh, grieving for the sake of sin? What is that? What would that look like? What would that look like? Uh, it's not so much. See, so here the repentance here, they repented so that they wouldn't be destroyed right? They repented so that God would change his mind, it says, right? That, that may God relent and change his mind. And so that's why they repented. We don't need to repent so that God might change his mind. We know that our sins are forgiven. But the act of repentance is still an important act. It's still an important act because it gives us time to reflect on the ways in which the world is not the way that God would want it to be. The ways in which our lives fall short and the ways in which we could do better to be uh, kingdom people, People of faith living in God's kingdom, doing our best uh, to, to reflect the love and grace of Jesus Christ and doing our best to, to love our neighbor and to help those in need. So uh, I, I think it's a, a great lesson here. Uh, verse 10, the last verse in the chapter. And we're going to go back to what we talked about last time. Uh, Jonah is unique as far as the prophets go. Why is Jonah unique? Well, here we go. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. And he did not do it. God saw their repentance. God saw their repentance. And even though their past sins were terrible, their repentance was good enough for God to say, I'm not going to do that. 
I'm not going to overthrow you. I'm not going to do what Jonah said I was going to do because you have changed your ways. You have seen the error of your ways and you're not doing that anymore. So God's not going to do that. So why is Jonah unlike all other prophets? Well, Jonah, uh, Jonah is the only prophet in scripture who said something's going to happen and then it didn't happen. All other prophets, they say something's going to happen, and then it does happen, and then people are like, well, he must have been a true prophet because he said this was going to happen, and then it did happen. Jonah said something was going to happen, and it didn't happen, and yet Jonah is seen as a true prophet, right? Because it didn't happen because the people changed their ways, because God gave them a warning, and the people saw the warning and said, we're going to stop doing this. We're going to do something else, and the people changed their ways. Jonah uh, was seen as a true prophet, even though it didn't happen, because God forgave, because Jonah said, listen, instead of something bad is going to happen right now, right? Something bad is going to happen if you don't change your ways, if you don't, and they change, well, he, he didn't say that. He said, something bad is going to happen in 40 days, right? 40 days. Uh, he didn't say, if you change your ways, it won't, right? He just said something bad is going to happen in 40 days. Uh, but the people changed their ways and it didn't. So question, will God ever not forgive someone who repents? Is there anything that God won't forgive? We had this great conversation uh, in confirmation this week. In this confirmation this week, one of our students asked, uh, Will God forgive a murderer? If someone kills somebody, will God forgive them? Will God forgive them? And the question, I mean, scripture is full of examples of people who did terrible things and God forgave them and then they changed their lives. The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a prosecutor, uh, sorry, a persecutor of the church. He was a persecutor of the church. He cast his lot against Christians. He saw Christians being killed. He may have participated in the murder of Christians. He may have picked up a stone. And yet the amazing things that God did through Paul, right? Absolutely, God will forgive the sins of those uh, who repent, who understand that they're the ways, of, the ways in which they fall short. What about those who don't repent? Are they forgiven? First John says that Jesus died for, the, for our sins, not just our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Are the sins of the whole world forgiven as soon as they are committed? I would say that's what scripture tells us, that the sins of the whole world are forgiven. The sins of the whole world are forgiven, but the forgiveness of sins does not necessarily relate. It does not mean that just because your sins are forgiven, that you're saved. Your sins may be forgiven by God because simply God may choose to say, I no longer want to hold a grudge against you. I no longer want to be angry with you. And isn't that truly what forgiveness is? When we forgive someone else, it's not about them so much as it is about us. I no longer want to carry that anger around. I no longer want to carry that, uh, that, that desire for revenge around. And so I forgive because I want to let go of it. I want to let it, I want to let it go, right? And so maybe God can say, the sins of the world are forgiven. I have let go of the desire to punish, but it doesn't necessarily mean that everyone is saved. Uh, so if you have questions about who is saved and who isn't saved, you can go back through the podcast. There's an hour-long podcast that I did on what the Bible says about heaven and hell, what each is like, and who gets to go where. Uh, it's a fairly comprehensive study that I put together. Uh, again, you can find that on both podcasts, Grace Abides and No Shortage of Questions. So there we go. 
Jonah chapter 3. Next week, we will have Jonah chapter 4. We will conclude our study of Jonah, and there's some great stuff in Jonah chapter 4. There's some stuff that, may, that, that I think is, is a perfect, uh, it's a perfect response for Jonah, right? Jonah, who does not like the Ninevites. Jonah, who thinks that God, they deserve to be overthrown, and God doesn't. And Jonah says, well, I wanted you to overthrow them, right? It's the, it's the, cipher, the self-righteousness. Why, it's the older brother in the parable of the, 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 the um, prodigal son. Why, why are you showing them grace? Why are you forgiving them? It's an important lesson for each and every one of us, and we'll do that next week. So thank you for joining me today. Take good care of yourselves, and we'll close with a word of prayer. Uh, good and gracious God, we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for those who point out our sins, uh, and, and we pray that you would work in us to help us be better people to help us live out our lives the way you would have us live and be the people you created us to be. Uh, We pray for all those who are battling illness. We pray for those who are um, battling disease, uh, for those who aren't feeling well, for those who are uh, just dealing with anxiety and stress and all the uh, depression and all the things that life throws at us, Lord. We just pray that you would give us comfort, uh, that we would know that we are loved, uh, and that you would give us the strength to overcome all the obstacles of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, everybody, have a wonderful day, and I will see you next week.